This is the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. We come to you in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of the Most High Yahweh. Tune in each week to hear teachings directly from Scripture, focused upon believing in the Father, His Son, and the holy and righteous law of our Creator. At the end of this broadcast, we will give you the web address whereby you may contact us for further scriptural information. Genesis chapter 1, I'd like to begin by just reading verses 14 through 18. Then Elohim said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for festivals and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth And it was so. Elohim made two great lights, the greater light to have dominion over the day and the lesser light to have dominion over the night, as well as the stars. Elohim placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth to dominate the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And Elohim saw that it was good. Evening came and then morning, the fourth day. We've always got to be open to further understanding. Always. We can never shut our minds off. Sometimes we think that we've got everything figured out. We think that we've got all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed. And we sometimes believe that, whether we want to admit it or not, we sometimes think that there's, on certain subjects, there's no more room for us to learn and to grow. That can be very problematic because when we shut our mind off to the truth, if we don't have it, then I think as one person said during the testimony service, it's going to be very difficult to receive it. I think it was Brother Jerry. You have to remain open. It's funny, I've talked to people before in my walk with the Father and they have fought the Bible And then I've just seen an immediate change, you know, particularly in the law of Yahweh. And all of a sudden they see the love that our Creator has for us in His blessed and holy instructions. And that He's not got a big giant thumb and trying to pin us down to the ground and say, I want you to keep all my commandments and it's going to be real difficult for you and it's going to be bad for your life. No, it was the exact opposite. They're not burdensome. They're easy. You just got to give in. My old youth pastor used to tell me, Matthew, it's easy to live hard for the Lord, but it's hard to live easy for the Lord. And I still carry that with me today. We've got to always be open to further understanding. I'm going to share with you something that I've recently changed my mind on within probably the past two weeks. It's not because I've just been studying it for two weeks. I've been studying this subject for 15 years. You say, Brother Matthew, every day? No, not every day. But off and on for 15 years I've been studying on this subject. And what I used to believe about this, I held to for 15 years. And I believe that I had the truth on this for 15 years. And now I have to stand here before you and I have to tell you that I I believe that I was wrong. For 15 years I was wrong. And you know what? I still might be wrong. But that's where you guys have to not just trust what Brother Matthew says. But study the Bible for yourself. I always tell people when I preach, whether it's here at the congregation or on the radio or witness to people, I always tell them, be open and be humble 
if you see where you've been wrong, if you truly see it from the Bible, then you need to make a change in your life. And so what I preach, I have to practice. My granddaddy used to listen to a song from the Southern Gospel Group, and the chorus said, Practice, oh, practice what you preach. Hallelujah, brother. <laughs> he would turn that song up, man, and I was a little boy, and I didn't know what that meant at the time, but now I know what it meant. Uh, as a preacher, I'm obligated to practice what I preach. And if I can see where I'm wrong, I don't mind changing. I don't. Um, I need to do the same thing that I tell others to do. But I have to be cautious. I want you to understand this. I have to be very cautious and very studied on issues because for whatever reason, it's all glory to Yahweh, but for whatever reason, and I say this in all humility, Yahweh has placed me in charge of a lot of people. I didn't sign up for it. You know, I don't understand it all the time, and sometimes it gets frustrating because I worry about the souls of men and women a lot. I have a hard time sleeping. If you pray for me, pray for me that I will sleep better because a lot of times I lay in bed at night and I worry about people because I want people that I love to be in the kingdom of Yahweh. I have to be cautious because I don't want to just jump off on something when I have so many people that depend on me for biblical subjects. You say, well, Brother Matthew, you say that they shouldn't just take your word for it. And you know what? That's right. They shouldn't. But, as Brother Frankie has said many times, everybody is not Moses. Everybody's not Aaron. Yahweh has different people in the body of the Messiah worldwide. And while some people are teachers, some people are not. And it's okay for you to have a teacher that you respect and you rely on and you help lift up his hands, as Exodus 17 says. It's okay. We've got this teaching going around in the Hebraic Roots Messianic movement. And they like to quote 1 John chapter 2 where it says, You need not any man teach you because of the Spirit. You have an unction from the Holy One. And so they say, if you try to teach them something, they say, Well, 1 John 2 says you need not any man teach you. And the problem with that is, there we go again, people are ripping verses out of its context. And what that text is actually talking about, if you read just a few verses before it, is the Antichrists in the world. And it's talking about you need not any of them to teach you because the Spirit of Yahweh is what leads and guides you. How does he lead and guide you? Sometimes just from picking up your Bible and reading it, but sometimes from listening to, an, to a heavenly ordained teacher. I don't necessarily believe in man's ordination. I'm not totally against all of that, but I believe the main thing is, is that we're ordained as teachers from, from heaven because we don't want to be mama called and papa sent, right? Seems like when I grew up, everybody and their uncle was called to preach, man. And... uh you know, we have to be very careful because the elders and the deacons have to be apt to teach. That's one of the qualifications. First Timothy 3 talks about that. So I've got to be cautious on doctrine. We've got to learn, and this is a long introduction, but you'll see why I'm, why I'm giving it. We've got to learn to balance two texts of Scripture. There's a Scripture that Paul speaks about in Ephesians where he says that we are not to be like little children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. You know that, Brother Ron. But along the same lines, 
Peter says in his epistle that we are to grow in grace and in knowledge. We've got to learn to balance those two verses. We can't not just jump on any bandwagon of doctrine that comes along our way. And believe you me, I have a bazillion, and I'm using hyperbole, but I have a lot of papers that get sent to me, and they teach a lot of bizarre teachings. Now, I don't want to use the word bizarre too much because a lot of people think I'm bizarre with the teachings that I hold to. Okay? But I have a lot of things that come across my desk and I can't just jump onto everything that comes across my desk. I lead a flock of people. Not just here, but, but a lot of people across the world. Not even on this continent. Other continents, even, that I talk to. I get emails all the time. I, I got an email the other day from Scandinavia telling me how much he appreciated the lessons on the Internet. Scandinavia. It's amazing, isn't it? You never know who you're touching. We can't be tossed to and fro, but at the same time, we've got to remain open-minded and grow in grace and in knowledge. And what triggered my brain, I like to say triggered one of the neurotransmitters inside of my head, or made all the squirrels start running at the same pace. <laughs> and I'm not a comedian. <laughs> Somebody says Amen. <laughs> But what triggered my brain on this subject was a paper that Brother Arnold gave me last new moon. It triggered something in my brain. I took that paper home, and later on, a few nights of that week, I would lay in bed beside my wife, and I'd have all my study books there. She likes me to lay beside her at night and have all my study books there, and, and I would go back over his paper and, that he gave me. And I don't agree with everything. Brother Arnold and I have talked about it. I don't agree with everything in the pamphlet that he gave me, but... There was one thing in that pamphlet that triggered something in my brain. And as I began to go back over things that I have studied for 15 years, I believe that I saw where I was wrong. And so I have to make that correction. That's what this sermon's all about. I still do hold to many aspects of my former belief. So we're going to talk about what made me, Matthew, change my mind or my understanding of the first biblical month. What you see right here on this next chart on the screen and for those people that are listening by way of telephone I do plan on placing this sermon up on YouTube so that the charts can be viewed as you listen to the lesson uh, I still believe that what we call the spring equinox plays a vital role in determining the biblical new year uh, I still believe that the spring equinox takes place right around March the 20th and that the fall equinox takes place right around September 20th. If you look here on the screen, it, it's an easy-to-understand chart. You see the fellow right there in the middle, and uh, right here is, uh, or over here on the east, is where the sun rises at the equinox. The sun will rise due east on the equinox, and the path is like this, and then it sets due west. And then that's the spring equinox. And after the spring equinox, the sun will rise a little bit further northeast every day until you get all the way over to the summer solstice, which is right here. And that's where the sun rises the furthest northeast that it will ever rise. Uh, the word solstice comes from the Latin. Uh, the word sol is sun. And uh, the word sistere means to stand still. 
And the word solstice means that the sun stands still. It doesn't literally stand still, but for about seven to ten days, it looks like the sun rises in the exact same spot. Uh, June 21st on our Gregorian calendar is the summer solstice. Um, after that, the sun travels back due east, and on the fall equinox, right about September the 22nd, the sun rises due east again. Then it begins to make its trek all the way over here, day after day after day after day. And then on the winter solstice, December the 21st, on our Gregorian calendar, the shortest day of the year, the winter solstice, longest night. Uh, we've talked about how that, uh, what is called now Christmas actually stems from the ancient Roman festival of Saturnalia. And it's a winter solstice festival. Uh, the sun will rise there, and you notice that the sun's path in the sky is very short. And then, obviously, back to the spring. Now, the word equinox is from the Latin language. It comes from two Latin words, equus, that means equal, and nox, that means night. That's a Latin term. I believe that the older term for that is the Hebrew word tekufa. Tekufa. Equinox, equal night, that term was placed in the Latin language upon this day right here in the middle, because at that time, the night portion is equal with the day portion. I did put together a documentary last year called, uh, I forget the name of it, but it talks about how ancient civilizations track the path of the sun to determine time. And this is why I read Genesis 1 to start off with. Remember Genesis 1? Yahweh appointed or made two great lights. Both of them are great. The greater light to rule the day, which one do you think that might be? That's the sun, obviously, right? The lesser light to rule the night along with the stars. Sister Lisa, that's the moon, absolutely. And he says, let them, plural, them, sun, moon, and stars, be for signs, seasons, days, and years. The word seasons is very important. It's the word moedim in Hebrew. It means appointed times. In other words, you tell when Yahweh's appointed times of Leviticus 23 are by the heavenly calendar. I explained this to a woman one time, reading Genesis 1, 14 through 18, and she told me, she says, that sounds like astrology to me. And in reality, the word astrology is not a bad term. I don't agree with modern-day astrology, fortune-telling, tarot cards, and all that. But astrology comes from two words, astro in the Greek, that means star, and logos, which means to think, to ponder, to speak. It's the message of the stars. Astronomy might be a little bit better. Astro, star, nomos, which means law, the law of the stars. This isn't something that the witches came up with. We just read it in Genesis chapter 1. Yahweh made these lights in the heavens to tell time. Do you know that we would not even have the ability to tell time if it were not for the lights in the heavens, the movement, and the stopping of those lights? That's how we tell time. Uh, Yeshua talks about in Matthew 5 when he's teaching us to love our enemies. He said, He, Yahweh, maketh his son to rise on the just and the unjust. Right? That's part of telling time. That's when you tell when the daylight period is. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. But if you get a chance, you can go to my website or go to YouTube and watch that about 30-minute documentary on how ancient civilizations track the path of the sun uh, to determine time. I think that you'll find it extremely interesting. 
and it'll be a blessing to you. Here's another chart from another angle. Uh, notice here that this is showing where sunset happens. Once again, we have on our Gregorian calendar about March 21st and September 22nd, the spring and the fall equinoxes. That's when the sun will set due west. Over here, winter solstice, December 21st, it sets the furthest southwest. Over here on the other side, it sets the furthest northwest. This is just from another angle of the equinoxes and the solstices. This picture is very interesting. This is a 2,300-year-old solar observatory in Peru. This is the oldest known solar observatory in the Americas that is known today. And you'll notice that there is some pillars set up here. There's 13 pillars set up, and there's 12 slots in between those pillars. These slots were used to watch how the sun would trek in its rising and its setting. Notice this next one right here. This picture was taken, I believe, by a science magazine or possibly NPR. This picture was taken on the summer solstice when, remember what we just learned, it was quick, but we learned that the sun rises and sets the furthest northeast and northwest that it does on any day of the year on the summer solstice, which on our calendar is June the 21st. Notice where the sun is at. It's right here at the end of these teeth-like structures. It will begin after the summer solstice. It's trekked back to the middle pillar at the equinox. And then it will continue to go on to the winter solstice. This is 2,300 years old, people tracking the path of the sun. Uh, it's talked about in the Bible even where, uh, I believe it was King Hezekiah, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he was mentioned in the context of a uh, sundial. Sundials were used to track the path of the sun in the sky. Here we have a chart that I made a while back, and I put it on this presentation to show you what I believe about the equinoxes again. Over here on the left, you have sunrise, and then you have up here when the sun is directly overhead, what we would call high noon. And high noon is not 12 p.m. Okay, now we go by the clocks, right? The watches. But Apostle Peter didn't have a watch. He didn't have a Rolex watch. You know how they told the hours of the day in the Bible? By the position of the sun in the sky. Uh, for instance, in John 11, verse 9, Yeshua says, are there not 12 hours in the day? And he's talking about the daylight period. Those hours are not identical to what we now call 60-minute hours, but they're 12 divisions in the daytime known by the position of the sun in the sky. The sun doing that and then going back under the horizon and staying underneath, this is where the modern invention of a clock originated, by watching the path of the sun. We see in Matthew 21 through 16 where Yeshua tells the parable of the workers in the vineyard, and he mentions the third hour of the day, the sixth hour of the day, the ninth hour of the day, and he says some people even came and started working during the eleventh hour of the day, which is the last hour of the day. How did they know when these hours were? How did Peter in Acts 2.15, remember when the apostles were accused of being drunk on new wine? And Peter said, these men are not drunk, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. The Holman Christian Standard Bible, less literal, and it's not as accurate, but it says, it has Peter saying, these men are not drunk, seeing it's 9 o'clock in the morning. How did they know when the third hour of the day was? Well, when the sun rose, they would watch first hour, second hour. Third hour, fourth, fifth, sixth, high noon, then it would go back down. 
And the hours fluctuated depending on the length of the day during the year. Remember, in the winter, you'd have shorter days. In the summer, you'd have real long days. And in the spring and fall, your days would be an equality. And so here we see during this part, the greater light to rule by day, Genesis 1.16, and then right here, the lesser lights, the moon and the stars, to rule by night. This is all very important when it comes to calculating the biblical new year. Here we see an example with sunset and the full moon. It's very interesting because when you watch the moon every night of a lunar month, some people have called me up and said, Brother Matthew, when was the full moon? It looked full for two nights in a row. Sometimes it looks full three nights in a row. Uh, people that are less learned in astronomy will think that a certain night will be the full moon, and it really isn't. How you tell astronomically and also historically and I believe biblically, how you tell when the full moon is is by its rising in conjunction with the sun setting. In other words, over here, look on the chart. The sun rises in the east, right, sets in the west. When the sun sets in the west on a full moon, as soon as the sun sets or while the sun is setting, the full moon will be rising. And once the sun drops below the horizon, the full moon in all its brilliancy will rise above the horizon. It's beautiful here. Philo mentions this in Special Laws 2, parentheses 2.10, where he talks about the Feast of Tabernacles that begins on the 15th day of the lunar month. And we know that. The Bible teaches that. He says this. Listen to what Philo says. He says this, quote, that the world may be full, not by day only, but also by night, of the most beautiful light, the sun and the moon on their rising opposite to one another with uninterrupted light, without any darkness interposing itself between them so as to divide them. In other words, on the 15th day of the month, not only do you have a beautiful light in the sky during the day, but as soon as the sun sets, you have a beautiful light in the sky all night long. That's how you know when the moon is at its fullest capacity. This is how the equinox was determined anciently. And when we look in the Bible, we see that the barley harvest is tied to the spring harvest. Remember Leviticus 23, 9 through 11? It talks about how that during the time of Passover and unleavened bread, the first cut of the barley is made. The priest lifts it up and waves it before the Father as the first fruit offering to Yahweh. And then the people can partake of the harvest. So, seeing that barley is tied to the spring harvest, the spring equinox is the logical candidate for calculating the first month of the year. I don't know of any other candidate that deals with the lights in the heavens in the springtime that would be logical or feasible to determine the first month of the year. This uses the greatest light in the heavens, which is the sun. Let's not forget about the sun. We talk a lot about the lunar in this congregation. And that's good because the moon is mentioned as the lesser light in Genesis. But the greatest light is the sun. Let me share with you something very interesting. I won't turn there, but in Genesis 37, 9 through 11, you've got a man by the name of Joseph. Yosef. He's just a young fella. He has these dreams, right, children? And remember he has this one dream where there was these sheaves of wheat that were bowing down to him. And those sheaves of wheat represented his brothers, didn't they? Well, then he had another dream, and he came back and told his dad, who was Jacob Israel. 
And he said, I had another dream, Dad, and I dreamed that the sun, S-U and sun, the moon, and 11 stars, and he said 11, bowed down to me. And Jacob Israel, we know, is a very wise man. He looks at Joseph and he says, Son, shall I, your mother, and your brothers bow down to you? What was he doing there? Jacob Israel recognized that the son, S-U-N son, typified the head of the home, the greatest light. When he saw the moon bowing down to him, it was the mother. And the 11 stars, how many brothers did Joseph have? He had 11 brothers. Now, don't let this scare you. A lot of people wouldn't want to hear this, so you're not going to hear it from most preachers. But there is something called the Zodiac, and in the Zodiac there's 12 signs, and man has taken the Zodiac and manipulated it with horoscopes and fortune-telling and all that, but Yahweh created those signs in the heavens, and there's 12 of them, and they represent the 12 sons of Jacob Israel, that is, the 12 tribes of Israel. They also represent something else that I'll get to here in a second. I find that very fascinating that Joseph had that dream. Let's get to some scripture. This is one of the first verses that made me change my mind. Exodus 34:22. Now that we've laid a foundation, you shall celebrate the feast of weeks, that is the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the turn of the year. Exodus 34:22 New American Standard Bible. Uh, you see this word turn right here. That word turn, if you're reading the King James Version, the King James Version says the end. The end of the year or the year's end. However, when we look in the Bible, the Feast of Ingathering, which I'm going to show you is another name for the Feast of Tabernacles, is not at the end of the year. It's during the seventh month of the year. The seventh lunar month of the year, actually. And we know in the Bible that there is at least 12 lunar months. Sometimes there's 13 because of the differences between the lunar and the solar year. Sister Lisa and I were discussing that before service. So why in the world does the King James Version say the Feast of Ingathering should be kept at the year's end, but the New American Standard Bible says it's at the turn of the year? Well, this word turn in Hebrew is tekufa. It's a word I mentioned earlier. This is the most ancient word that refers to the equinoxes, both spring and fall, and the solstices, summer and winter. Later in Latin, the term equinox was placed upon these middle times, these middle tekufas in spring and fall, because of the night being equal with the day. The word tekufa, translated turn here, is a word that is used to refer to distinctive points or time intervals associated with the heavenly bodies of the sun and moon, not only in sacred scripture, but also in the Apocrypha and the Dead Sea Scrolls. And also, you will see if you open up certain Hebrew lexicons like Jesenius, Strong's, William Holiday, you'll see that they define Exodus 34:22, where it says turn of the year as the fall equinox. Now, I believe that they're correct. I think I'll prove that here in a second. Brother Matthew, how do we know that the Feast of Ingathering is the Feast of Tabernacles? It's just another name. This is how you know this. We won't turn to these. You can verify this by going to Exodus 23, 14 through 17, and Deuteronomy 16, verse 16, and Exodus 34, 22. Look at all these passages, read above and below, and you'll see that all of these passages 
speak of the three major feasts of the year where it says all the males should appear before Yahweh Elohim of Israel. And these feasts have different names. We call them Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. But they can also be called unleavened bread, weeks, ingathering. You can see that they're parallel. Ingathering is just another name for the Feast of Tabernacles. And remember that in the Torah, in the law, Leviticus 23 Verses 33 through 34 teaches this feast in gathering is in the seventh lunar month. It's not in the twelfth there at the end or the thirteenth month. It's in the seventh lunar month. So turn, I believe, is a good translation, a better translation, and I believe it refers to the fall equinox. Let me show you another use of Tekufa. I think you'll enjoy this. Psalm 19, 1 through 6. I got it on the screen. New American Standard Bible says... The heavens are telling the glory of Elohim. A lot of times, Christian professors and preachers use this passage to say, look at, the, look at the heavens, and you know by looking at the heavens there has to be a creator. And I think that that's one application of this passage, but I think it can go deeper than that. You've been listening to the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. Our website is ministersnewcovenant.org. That's ministersnewcovenant.org. Please visit our website where you will find hundreds of audio sermons as well as videos, books, and articles explaining various doctrines in the scriptural faith. For questions, you can also call 678-347-6240. That's 678-347-6240. Thanks for listening, and according to His will, may Yahweh richly bless.